I just want to get this. I want to get this on record. Any references, any comparisons between this film and Wes Anderson as instant death ejected <laughs> from the podcast? I was shaking my head as well for the record. Hello and welcome to the 250, the podcast where we fuck loudly in the cafe bathroom. I'm Jonathan and with me as always <laughs> is my co-host Douglas. How are you, Douglas? <laughs> oh, wait, like we as yeah. in you and me? Yeah. Okay. I didn't. I didn't realize this was how you were announcing our, it to the world. One of but- our co-workers has um, sort of convinced us that we both like each other, and uh, <laughs> there's only one thing the that can be done. The sexual tension between us is, uh, yeah, palpable. Absolutely. I'm good. Thank okay, you. good. <laughs> this is your first time tuning in for 250. We've taken a snapshot of IMDb's top 250 movies of all time as of January 2020. And we'll be watching them from number 250 through to number one. In this podcast, we discuss our opinions, our thoughts, and our reactions to the movies within. Today's movie, number 101, is The Destiny of Amelie Poulon. Oh, oh my God, the full title. <laughs> Let's go. An introverted worker at a Parisian cafe, Amelie, discovers she has a gift of helping others. When she is presented with the chance to take centre stage in her own story, will she step forward into the spotlight? Amelie was directed by Jean-Pierre Jeunette, who was known- who is known for Alien Resurrection and Delicatessen, and it was written by Jean-Pierre Jeunette and Goulam uh, Laurent. I think it's Gu- Gu- what was it again? It wasn't Guillaume. Guillaume. Guillaume Laurent. Guillaume Laurent. Who worked <laughs> Sorry. on- Sorry to our French listeners. My bad. Who worked on I Lost My Body and a Very Long Engagement. I have watched this film before. I don't know if Douglas has. Oh, no, I haven't. Oh. Uh, I didn't realize you'd seen it before. There yeah. you go. Yeah. Very cool. When did? When the hell did you watch it? Years and years and years ago. I remembered almost none of it. Huh. There you go. I will say- the, the one in point of interest from Jean-Pierre now having seen this that I'm merely fascinated with is the fact that he directed an alien movie. That's and weird. I really want to see what the fuck that looks like. Is Resurrection the one where they go to another planet? I couldn't tell you. It's the one. Oh. Is it after Alien 3? I think it is. Yes. Yeah, because Alien 3 is David Fincher. That's um the bitch's back. It's the one with all the- it's the one with all the clones, I think. Actually, I think maybe one of the early- I haven't seen any of the alien films. I know there's oh. at least for one film about alien clones, Ripley clones. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, man, I'm so excited for you to watch Alien then. That's going to be a good time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm excited too, baby. Mm. Hyped. Hyped, mm-hmm, hyped, hyped, hyped. Mm-hmm. Watching a dark room. We were talking yes. about- Spooky Yuki. Who's, who's doing- The guy who did Don't Breathe is doing- the next alien An film. An alien film. And we were saying yeah. to each other, Doug, I reckon it's a great idea. Match made in heaven. Don't Breathe, I think, actually didn't do that that well critically. No, I don't think it was, did that all that well in the box office. I don't but get it. I thought it was really good. I really enjoyed that me movie. Too. It reminds me a lot of, you haven't seen it, but Barbarian is another oh. horror film that- We've talked about it on the podcast, that. Douglas. We have. It's same kind of thing. Like, it's a very nice- neat, short idea that's presented in a very efficient way mm. in the form of, like, an hour and a half worth of runtime. Like, it doesn't overstay its welcome. A nice horror movie with no supernatural elements and doesn't- re- I don't know about this one, but the nice thing about Don't Breathe is that there wasn't, like- there wasn't, like, any, like, psychopaths or, uh, you know, like, it doesn't- it doesn't rely on something outside of the- like, you- you hear the motivation for Don't Breathe yeah. and you're like- yeah. You're like, it's a little out there, but it's, like, not completely unreasonable. It's not, you know, yeah. it's not Leatherface yeah. or- or You can understand how someone could be driven to that point. Yeah. Yeah. Psychologically. I think the same for Barbarian. Mm. And how and how they could force you to not breathe. Douglas, I haven't seen Barbarian, so I can't comment. <gasps> that's me not breathing. Uh, we're talking about Amelie today, Jonathan. Uh- I think that transition was perfect. <laughs> I think there's a lot- a crossover between Don't Breathe and Don't Armory. Breathe. <laughs> Lots of time indoors. Yeah. Yeah, a little um, apartment building. I just not an apartment building in Don't Breathe. You know something that Don't Breathe and Armory don't have in common? No. <laughs> Damn. Uh, P- 
piss color grading. We're back in that early noughties way. This this got me, but it's really funny because they only do it when it's outdoors. Yeah. Most interior shots are like a kind of a greeny color or like a reddy color, which like usually makes sense with the set design, but I feel like the interior shots were not that heavily graded. Like mm. especially like the adult shop is color graded pretty flat. Yeah. For example. The yep. only reason I have that comparison is that the adult shop came up the first time after I realized how piss colored the piss gradient was, the grading was. <laughs> and I was like, oh my goodness. And you're like, oh, we're in, we're in Y2K right now. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know what the, but I think that's maybe shown up. I think maybe some of the other guy, Richie, like maybe Lockstock, I yeah. think used oh, yeah, heavy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah Interesting. Yeah. And obviously the Matrix, Douglas. Naturally. Big, yes. Big on color grading. Big on color grading. You reckon that you? I wonder if there was like a like a big film at Canis that um that used like color grading and it was like, oh my god, you're blowing my fucking mind. And, and then everyone went ape shit for it. That's a very good question. Um, right into uh let uh two five o uh on Instagram at two five o pod slide into the DMs or email mail at two five o dot com if you have any information. Around why everyone in the early noughties was so fascinated with piss color grading. Mm. You have any strong thoughts on the piss color grading except that it existed, Douglas? I just- I'm kind of over it. Like, I, for the for the vibe of Armelie, I feel like it didn't really fit. I don't- yeah, I, I was sitting there wondering, I'm like, was this just to make it look a little interesting or is this to- Send some message, communicate some message. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't there, think uh, it was. an intention behind it. Mm. I'm not sure it was. I think that's just how they wanted the film to look. Yeah. I don't have heaps of positive things to say about the piss grading, I, I, mm. but I'm also mm. happy to brush over it. It, it, it actually yeah. isn't that much of the film. Once again- Yeah, yeah, yeah. She spends a lot of time inside, so- Because yep. she's an introvert. Checks out. We love interior shots. There are, like, I think some of the scenes inside train stations- do have the color grading yes. and some of them yep. don't just to make it really fun. And there are some outside shots that don't have the color grading. Mm. I, it's it's just bizarre. It's really odd. That's it. Quite a visually fun film as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Some of the cinematography and stuff like that is it gives. I mean, what I wrote uh, cinematography was uh, done by Bruno Delbanel, by the way, who also shot. Inside Lewin Davis, motherfucker. <laughs> oh, yeah. Full circle. Wow. What a funky line of films to have cinematography for. He's done Amelie, Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, Inside Lewin Davis, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs and The Tragedy of Macbeth. So, that's like three under kind of cover Coen Brothers films, a fucking Harry Potter film. Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children, which was that one Tim Burton film that no one really gave a fuck about. Yeah, just what a kooky little cinematography career. Interesting. Getting out there, doing funny yeah. stuff. Yeah. Kind of love yeah. it. And I, I really liked Half-Blood Prince. That was like one of my favorite Harry Potters next to the third one. You watched that one recently, Douglas. I haven't watched that in many, 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 many years. Many well, years. Recently, I watched it about three years ago, but it was it was when we were doing the the lead up to Deathly Hallows way back in the two five zero. Go back and listen to Deathly Hallows Part Two. A very interesting experience for both of us. <laughs> yeah, because I briefly rattle off my opinions. You on wa- you watched all of them in all order of the to Harry be up Potter to date, films, yeah. and I watched none of them and none dove right them. in <laughs> at the deep end for the, as separate as uh, you possibly could be. That was a very good premise for an episode, by the way. I'm very I proud thought it was of great, that we Douglas. did that. Would have been fun. I think a good premise for this episode would have been if one of us had watched it without subtitles and just tried to work out what was going on. <laughs> I went purely off of vibe. <laughs> mm. I think it'd be that's fun. That's true. Yeah, that'd be fun. Be- you know what? That's a that's a follow up podcast series for the two that, that is yeah yeah someone watch watches it with subtitles films. no both of us watch it without subtitles oh and we go just- what if we try and work out what if we try and discuss and and make a a plot for a oh like based off of yeah yeah like we try and put together the pieces of what we thought happened 
And then we look at what actually happens. Yeah, that is a podcast waiting to happen. There's a lot of room to work here, Douglas. The real Shit. problem is that we would have to do a second podcast. A Let second me tell you. podcast. <laughs> We're halfway through this one. I'm kind of over it. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're checked no, out. You couldn't possibly not. be. I am nah, not you're, checked you're out. Very, you're still into it. I love, it. I I love podcasts and I love movies, Douglas. Exactly. I've yep. always said this. I've never said else <laughs> uh, otherwise. On the podcast or- off. Cut to, yeah. <laughs> smash cut. Anniversary episode. I'm smash cutting to you talking shit about <laughs> fucking mm. movies. Um, hey, movies. Yeah, just interesting cinematography. Gave me- I wrote down, and this is maybe as base a take as everyone saying that this is Wes Anderson energy. Douglas, Douglas, we said at the start of the podcast, he who shall not be named- Sorry, sorry. Uh, the man with three letters. <laughs> bless, bless Crombison. Um, Edgar Wright. Some of the, the initial oh, yeah. sequence of setting up all of the characters and everything. Some of the shots mm. and the kind of the sound effects that are used with some of it. It just gave that kind of- oh, I don't even know how to describe it. It's a very tangible kind of feeling of editing. Like, you get into what- Amelie's apartment is like and you you get to understand like that whole space and you get to understand all of these characters and their very basic foundational characteristics which are at times a little bit overblown but also I could just imagine them as people for some reason like I was looking at a lot of the characters I was going like yeah you could exist tangibly in France. <laughs> because the film does something that you wouldn't do in, like, a drama, which is, this is character X. They do Y, and they really like Z. And they yeah. do that for everybody. And it is yeah. incredible. Because you're just, like, it immediately makes- Not only makes them feel real, but makes them feel, like, nuanced and, like, you can pick up things of their personality by what they talk about them liking. But they also- Sometimes it's so out there that you're just like, oh, wow, okay, these are these are really real people, you know? Yeah. Like, these are- because it's so nuanced and specific that there's no way it could be- You don't need to suspend disbelief because it's just so precise in what it is. Mm. Yeah, yeah. No, I love it. I love every single character in this movie. I think they're all fucking just sublime, quirky, weird little- People who all just need a hug. And I love that Amelie kind of does that for most everyone in the film. I think that that's a really- Just a, a special kind of a character study, I guess, in some ways, of a introverted woman. Yeah. Mm. We should talk about the character more, but we should talk about it after the spoilers. I, yeah, definitely. Actors, yes. I really like- I'm going to assume it's Jamel- Oof. Oof. Debus, Deb, Deb, Debus, Debus. Anyway, he Debu plays Lucian. Deb yes, he he plays Lucian. He's uh, still acting. Yep. Well, yeah, he's got a pretty decent coverage. He he's in about a film a year, averaged yep. over his career. And the really the funniest thing about this, and this is probably not at all what he wants to be known for, but the dude has um. Well, he he's got like a lame arm, so yeah, he has like, and it is, and it's so lovely that it is like, he, especially in something like this, you could sort of get away with like making a a plot point of it, but he just it's keeps just his there. right arm. No one talks in his about pocket. it. There's no tragic backstory or anything to it. Mm. It's just there, which is just yeah, mm -hmm. I agree. It's so nice, such a fun, such a fun take, and and sort of like you know that that's like cool diversity in like films where it's like not only does this dude have a disability but it's like not made to be anything really a point of drama is. or a point of yeah yeah anything in particular like i talked about this with the show skip and loafer where the main characters aren't is transgender and it's like it's so it's not brushed over but it is there are so many other things to her personality, to her character, and it's just like, oh, and this is just a little thing that's on there. It's mm. nifty. I like mm. it. And he's also a really fun actor. 
I, I, I like him a lot. And fuck me, like, some of the shit that he's been working in looks kind of interesting. Yeah. Like- Yeah. There's all these screenshots from Angel A from 2005. Yes, and it's I was black, looking at that it's too. It's black and white. I think it's filmed in 4.3. So, it's basically, like, bait for letterboxed people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it Big also time. just looks kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Film snob bait. Fil- film snob bait entirely- there's also Dominique Pinon, who plays Joseph, who I like to think of as um, evil Neil Patrick Harris. <laughs> Although well, some of the ways that Neil, Pat- Neil Patrick Harris acts, maybe Neil Patrick Harris is evil Neil Patrick Harris. I don't That's know. That's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. But cool guy. And he's in Delicatessen as well. And Alien yes. Resurrection. So, yes. he's big fan. And he does his music stuff as well. Oh, not very much. Okay. This is always funny with, like, IMDb. It'll have, like, actor and then music department and then soundtrack. And you're like, oh, whoa, what did they do? And then it's, like, one credit for music department where yeah. they were, like, a singer. <laughs> yep. Uh, looks like he got his start in theatre, though. He was uh, considered to be a theatre actor with constant onstage acting in 19... Since 1985. And then eight movies dating from between 1990 to 2013. He worked with- yeah, Jean Pierre. Mm. So, but yeah, we sort of. I feel like I feel like we sort of. Maybe, maybe we got it fairly well covered, but I feel like we sort of breezed past the the visual flair that this film has. Because yes, there's like definitely what puts it up this high in the two fifty though is yeah yeah and the screenplay. Yeah, I think it is a really nice story. I think mm. like it's just nice. I we I think it has been long enough that I can't be going on about like oh it's nice to have a nice film because we have had some fairly nice films. Yeah, recently. we have. Yeah, but it's. But baby, it's a nice film, and mm. it is. It it's not non-confrontational, but it doesn't open with confrontation. Yes, it's sort of yep. this story of it's like a it's sort of like a coming of age, I guess. I, I guess mm. like it's it's just about the development of this this woman introvert. Yeah, working her shit up. Yeah, which is very very cool. Yeah, and it's fun to watch. It's fun to watch her have this development and the the way that the screenplay kind of. It sets a lot of things up that Amelie does and you go like, what the fuck? What are you doing? And then it always gives the, like, the punchline of, like, that's what that thing that she did meant, basically. It Mm. always gives a cause and action of, yeah, what she does, which I just love. Because there were so many moments in this movie where I was like, what the fuck? What are you doing? (laughs) And it's then- like a it's like a mini little heist film. Yeah. Like, yeah. Little like little a like heist, four minute vignettes. Doing of- very nice things for everyone in yeah. this heist. <laughs> except for the except for the fucking grocery shop. Except owner. for the guy who's reaming in Lucian, yeah. <laughs> she just fucks. That guy with eats mercilessly. Shit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's I love the bit where this is not really a spoiler, she um she she takes his lamp and she puts a needle through, like, the power line. Yeah. And um, my partner's like, oh, what's that going to do? And I'm like, that's going to blow up his fucking lamp. <laughs> and it, like, actually does. I was, like, second-guessing myself. And then he plugs it. And it's just like, boom. <laughs> 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 fucking incredible. Collignon. Uh, it was played by Urbane Cancelier, who is, mm. wouldn't you know it, he's a comedian. He's primarily known as a French comedian. Uh. So- that ah, completely cool. checks out. The fucking sounds that he makes when he's trying to put on his shoes. The, like, <laughs> kind of sounds <laughs> that he makes. They're so good. I love that man. He's beautiful. Yeah. Very good character. I loved all the little vignettes, yeah. obviously. We've already, we've already fluffed on this a little bit. But there's, like, there's like a great one where I think she leaves a note at someone and then it cuts to, like, black and white. She's in like a Zorro makeup. She does like oh, a yeah, Z the- on the door. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then it- that's it. And then it hard cut back <laughs> to like normal. That- that's that's all that's there. And there's little bits like Nino looking at the photos, like the thing they're hanging from like a string or something. Mm. And the dude in the photo starts talking yeah. and stuff. Like some of the special effects, like the CG, it feels like 2000s CG, but like it kind of holds up. Like- Still reads, yeah. The intent still reads, I should say. Yeah. Yeah. There's a bit where some, like, I think, like, porcelain animals or something start talking. You're like, you know what? I'm here for it. totally fine. Yeah. Considering this film is 22 years old. That's absurd. A-okay. My God. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Holy shit. 
and you know, there's constant like really fun camera stuff. We've already talked about the sort of Edgar Wright of it all. Yeah. Edgar Wrightness. Yep. There's especially some bits early on where Amelie is like stressed out and the camera is like a really close really close angle and like looking down on her and you fucking feel that shit. Like it's great. Yep. I uh I, I loved all that. And then there is obviously quite a bit of, uh, you know, quite a few scenes that are evocative of the man who shall not be named. <laughs> and given that he'd only made two films at this point- Bottle Rocket I wonder- and- Maybe it was three, actually, but Bottle Rocket and the- Is it the one the that one Jason with- Schwartzman was in? Um- yeah, the Jason Schwartzman was one of his first ones. Yeah. Rushmore. That was the Jason Anderson one. Right. Yeah. 1996 was Bottle Rocket, 98 was Rushmore, and then 2001 was Royal Tenenbaums, which, like, started to put him on the map, I would say, but probably Mm. he didn't get, like, fully on the map until, like, probably Fantastic Mr. Fox in 09. Yeah. It's a little hard to say. I'm not sure whether he- Like, it is entirely possible that- I can nearly guarantee he looked across the pond, saw, like, Amelie and went- Yep, I fuck with that immensely, and then probably mm. mooched off of it a little bit. Wait, because have you seen Rushmore or- I have seen Rushmore. Rushmore is a great movie. I love that movie. But does Rushmore have the sort of classic stylistic- Not as much as you'd think. It, like, it pops up here and there, but the more poignant point from what I remember- It's been about two years since I watched it, but what I remember more of Rushmore is the screenplay. And the performances, which can be said, I guess, for most Wes Anderson movies. But I think the fact that that's what I remember more than the cinematography probably speaks to the notion that he probably wasn't quite as blessed Cranderson-y as much as he is when he Mm. starts getting to Moonrise Kingdom. Even like Life Aquatic. Life Aquatic is like fucking immensely Chris Cranderblonde. Mm. I, I, I think you're really pushing it, huh? <laughs> I'm you're trying working, not to name working hard. No, it's good. I feel like one of the two was inspired in one of the two directions. Yeah. And it's very possible that they're in conversation with one another. Like, that's that happens a lot in cinema. There's uh, some films that we've already watched in the 250 that were very much in conversation with one another. So, I definitely wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Hmm. But anyway, it's just, it's just this, like, I, I've just been flicking through the stills and there's- I've got two more takes that I got out of the stills that I've reminded them from, from the stills, <coughs> but lots of people very center screen. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, And the other thing is, like, the 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 colors are- despite being heavily color graded, you always get, like, the reds and the blues, like, pop out like crazy. The blues are fighting against the yellow yeah, grading a little really bit. Really battling it. But they're there. They are there. So Amelie's Amelie's outfits. Whoever did the costume design, just in general. Oh god. So fucking good. Like all of Amelie's outfits are so they're fucking working. She's she's getting it in those red cardigans. Like just slay the house boots down. So good. <laughs> I did Definitely spend an embarrassing amount of time Googling around trying to work out where her shoes are from. <laughs> I believe they're just a no-name, like, work. They look they look like Doc Martin Lowe's, but they're not. Mm. And I was like, oh, cool, because I'm sort of keen to jump ship off of the the old good doctor. Uh, two more things yep. that I want to bring up. Goddamn, I want a creme brulee right now. But Fuck yeah. that's thing number one. That's thing number yes. one. I wonder if I could- I have a blowtorch and I could make custard. Oh, it's possible. The only limit is your imagination. This is me- this is me blowing my shining light for this film a little bit early. Yep. But there is a moment early on, and you don't need to pull yours out right now if you don't want to, but she pulls out like a little- um, this little cookie box or something that's been like hidden in the wall. Yes. And it's all gunked up, you know, it's covered in dust and she's in her- Perfectly clean fucking Wes Anderson bathroom <laughs> and she wipes the dust just straight onto the floor and I'm like, you fucking psychopath. <laughs> the sink was right there. What are you doing? Oh, That's demented. Fuck. That's so funny. <laughs> the, re- the, uh, the immediate revulsion I got. The, in the, your stomach. Oh, my. 
Oh, my God. I think my shining light moment is genuinely the moment after that, where uh, that whole bit plays out and comes to fruition. I'm Mm. trying not to spoil it. (laughs) (laughs) And the reaction of that one character as it comes to fruition genuinely made me tear up a little bit. That's really lovely. Like, it really struck a chord with me because it's so poignant and simplistic and beautiful in its simplicity, I think. Uh, And that goes for- uh, there are some moments, obviously, that are very grand and very verbose and kind of- I mean, there's a bit where Amelie literally turns into a puddle. There's moments (laughs) like that, but there are other moments- where Amelie just does some, like, kind of fourth wall breaking kind of stuff where she'll, like, look right down the barrel of the camera or she'll smile or something. And not once did it ever feel undeserved or cringe or just, like, weird in any way. It always just felt likable. Yeah, it was never flat, which is just really nice. Like, we said this is a nice film, but, like- not only is the film nice, but the film is filled with nice moments. Yeah. They just keep the nice coming, you know. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. It's very, very positive. And it's also the Frenchiest French film to ever French. So, like, if you really mm. like Paris, this film will get your dick wet. <laughs> I don't think they're in Paris. Okay, if you like- or is it, uh, a, is it? Is it in Paris? I'm not sure. Tiny Parisian cafe is what I got. It's in- Montmartre, it is in Paris. Eat shit. Yeah, but it's not near the- It's not near the- Well, it also doesn't, like, make a deal about it being in Paris. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. There's no- There's no- There's no, like, yeah, architecture or iconography of Paris that- Yeah, it's, like, jerking itself off over. It's actually fairly central. Which is actually even the more- All the more surprising that it's that central, but it doesn't jerk itself off over being in Paris. Well, I guess they don't have to, you know- Because they're just, like- um, you get it. Yes, I get it. <laughs> if you're yeah, in France, Paris. you get it. <laughs> you're in France, dickhead. It we- is- I'm assuming- Actually, actually so close to the Eiffel Tower. I'm uh, assuming that's uh, where, like, the film would have been pushed the most. Oh, no. It did-, it, did um, it came out in the Edinburgh International Film Festival in 2001. Um, that was- It is first- an hour walk from the Eiffel Tower. They must have been working Fuck. to not have it in the background. <laughs> yeah, probably. Shit. God damn. Anyway, right. that's really telling you just how cultured and worldly we are, Douglas. Yeah. That's all we know about Paris. Bing, boom, boom. I've been there. And so, I should know. And that's all I know about the film Amelie without spoiling key moments of the plot to you, Douglas. So, I'm going to perhaps bring us into the spoiler zone after we do. Do you recommend the film? Oh, uh, yeah, I do. Yeah. I think it's a very nice- um, warm, heartwarming film that I think if you're down bad and you're just kind of- It's one of those films where I think if you're feeling a bit bummed out by humanity and the the lack of kind of willingness to help, to aid, to- You feel like you're losing a little bit of faith. Amelie is a very good film to put on because it does genuinely- I After watching this, I- I watched it a couple of nights ago and I went back to work and I genuinely felt more, not necessarily empathetic, but understanding of the people around me because I was just like, God, I have no idea what shit you're going through outside of this conversation we're having right now, which I guess Amelie kind of opened my eyes to a bit more, that there's there's so much going on under the surface of a person that we couldn't possibly know about. There's an unfathomable amount. Mm. Like that one bit towards the end of the film, which is- This isn't a spoiler. It's a little bit of VA where the narrator is saying how there's more links in your brain than there are atoms in the universe. That is patently false, by the way. That is physically impossible. I know, but- the sheer <laughs> concept of that made my dumb little potato brain go- Because Whoa. it's got like- It's got like a- um, Sort of like a- 
He's like a tradie or something. Like, yeah, maybe yeah, not. Yeah, like, yeah. like, the kind of guy who would not be the star of a film, perhaps. Not the sharpest and, tool in the shed. Yeah. And they give him his own little moment yeah. where he's, like, he's having, like, wonder about the world. It's yeah. lovely. Yeah. Yeah. It's really good. I experienced that is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. That's lovely. How about you? Came from- to this, to this little recording studio, which we are in, we came from an argument with our mutual friend, Carl. <laughs> and Carl said- Oh, here How we much go. he hates- How much he hates my Michelin star rating system, Douglas. A simplified rating system that does not require me to fit things into uh, a 10-point scale. Or and, a five-point uh, scale. Or a five-point scale, which is better, but not heaps better. <laughs> And it's got me, Douglas, because I'm thinking, I don't know if this is a two or a three, Douglas, but this is a damn good movie. This might be a three. Oh. From my- oh. From the personal Jonathan scale. Oh. Could perhaps be a three. Oh. I think it's probably- <laughs> It's maybe a four and a half on IMDb, but it's a liked. Not on IMDb, Letterboxd, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you got the- I give it a liked. Mm, yeah, I think definitely. Wow. Your current rating of it as at time of Maybe recording is three and a half stars, Jonathan. I think it, I think it bummed me out last time for some reason. I was how, going through some how stuff. How could this film bum you out? What are you talking about? I don't about? know. I don't know. It was a long time ago. <laughs> don't feel that way anymore. Yep. Might be a five. Check in on my letterboxed. Your last time you marked that's it was four Uber, years ago. So U- yeah, that tracks. U-P-A-H. Yeah, that was like when I first set it up and I was just like filling in yeah, movies I'd watched. Them in. Yeah. Great film. Do we have any- Fantastic film. Do we have any- um Content warning? Yeah, there's like- there's like Oh, the one piano song that's absolutely going to trigger everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I was- So, I watched this in two slices because I think I just was very tired. And we watched the first two thirds. Mm. And then we put it down, I think, for a day- and went to a friend's place and they were just playing the piano at their place. And they started playing the theme from Amelie and I thought I was having a stroke. I was like, <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> but it is incredible. I mean, the music is great. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. But I mean- uh, It's a fantastic the, piece of score. But- I guess the only content warning would be that there's like some sexual stuff and there's like some boobs in there. And, and oh, yeah. they talk about sex as like the wonderful part of the human experience that it is, which is- Entirely consistent. The the film really throws you like right in the deep end where it's like the fifth line is like, she likes to think about how many orgasms people couples are having right now. And she turns to the camera and goes, 15! 15! Fucking like a Dora the Explorer moment. <laughs> but it's it's always from like a very positive, positive angle. Yeah. And, it, and it's like, like I said, yeah. I think it's meant to reflect the positive, very extremely positive experience that that can be. And I will say not the ro- most romantic film out of the 250. If you want romance, mm. uh, I would be going more towards the Before Sunset, Before Sunrise or In the Mood for Love. I still think those three are like some of the most romantic films out of the 250. This film is romantic. It does have a level of romance to it, but I think it's more focused on Amelie as a person. And it's about a character study. It's about Amelie's romance. It is not about a yes. romance yeah. that Amelie is in. It is- yep. Uh, yep. That is the it. key distinction. Put that put that on the fucking front cover. And if that's, that's a content a- warning for you, you can't watch a film unless it's a full-on romance. There's not the <laughs> film for you. <laughs> No, let's get into the spoiler zone because yeah, it's already late as fuck. Uh, yeah, let's have a spoiler noise. And we're now in the spoiler zone. <laughs> Very unsuppressed, uh, no sound uh, proofing. Yeah, a little echoey little my- room. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> from my high ceiling little room that I've got here. Do you remember the story beat that you wanted to talk about that you cut yourself off from? We're talking about characters, I think. Oh, fuck. Yes. Oh, like my shining light moment was, yeah, the one where the the, the guy like- Oh, yeah. Thinks back on the whole Tour de France stuff and all of that. And his childhood stuff. And it's so so funny because like that happens in the first third of the film and it is immediately resolved. And it's just its own little like vignette, you know, it's its own little slice. And it- it, it 
plays Gutted into me. genuinely fucked me. Yeah, and then the film's like, anyway, <laughs> moving on. Yeah, and I'm like, what? <laughs> Which is, it's like, what's so? I, th- I think this is a five. I think this film is potentially a five. Yeah, because like it yeah. is such like a unique way that like drives the intention so incredibly, and yeah, I think like. But without hand fisting it, you know what I mean? Like, mm. it never it never feels like it's pushing its way going like, oh, fuck, we're going to get through the thing. Or like, we're going to fucking race to the finish line. Like, it always doles out those little vignettes in a very patient manner, mm. which I really like. It's great. Like, the, the, the bit where um, uh, she nicks all of the letters from the lady downstairs mm. from her- fucking dead husband <laughs> and she reads through all of them and then fucking snips all like these different bits out and puts it together like some fucking ransom note photocopies it and then sends it to her like just just to make her think that like to help her feel that her dead fucking husband is still close to her what the fuck? What a long-term payoff because I remember her stealing the letters and I was like what the fuck are that? Like what is she doing? Like, there's a scene, and then after that scene, it's her reading the letters, Mm. and then you're like, okay. And then the scene- there's another scene, and then the scene after that is that Edgar Wright fucking montage of her putting together this fucked up little ransom note. (laughs) And then, again, a couple more scenes, and then the character is reading the letter. And it's just fucking that payoff, man. Like, it's so- there's so much simultaneous setup- to near constant payoff. When something is just about to get paid off, the film is setting up something else to get paid off later on down the track. You know mm. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think- So fucking smart. I think that the- um, I guess we don't really have a closure for the for the grocery store owner, do we? Do we? Not particularly. He just kind of continues to eat shit and <laughs> continues to be a terrible guy. She, but my God, she really fucks I, with I him. can- have you ever had that feeling where you feel like someone is fucking with you? Like, feel things just don't feel like they're where they're supposed to be or just everything is kind of just not quite right? Do you know what I mean? I- f- I- not to that degree. <laughs> not to- yeah, yeah, not to the degree that Armily fucks with this guy, but, like, just- you wake up one day and it feels like you woke up on the wrong side of the bed. No, actually, and- I think- I think- I think I'm, like, okay, well- normally doing just fine. I was watching it and I was like, that's very relatable. Like, there's just the <laughs> tiniest little inconsistencies about what would normally- I needed you to agree, you fucking piece of shit. Yeah, that's fine. Just throw me under the fucking uh, bus. The the tiny little inconsistencies about uh, what is normally a consistent routine mm. is very relatable to me. And mm. you just- you feel incredibly alienated and kind of like, what the fuck is happening? It felt like- I've definitely had those moments where I feel like I've had my own little armily fucking with me and screwing up all my shit. <laughs> that was me. That was just me. I'm gonna come clean. Oh, okay, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I'm the one who put all that salt in your toothpaste and your salt in, in my- Yeah, yeah. Whiskey and salt in your Salt in my toothpaste? And- my whiskey? Yeah. yeah, salt in your bed and salt in your shoes. <laughs> salt everywhere. Oh, I was wondering why I had so much salt everywhere. Boy, you new shoes that were two salts too small. <laughs> you can work on that one. We can- We can- I've, uh- did you put salt in my head as well? Like when I scratch my head and there's salt coming out, is that- No, no that's, that's you? That's you. That's gross. No. Okay. <laughs> I, tell you what, I'm on a good anti-dandruff shampoo at the moment. And so hey, I'll, good I'll shit. Hook you up, good for I'll hook you. you up after the episode. Not my anti-dandruff. Uh, eucalyptus. I think, is it eucalyptus? I hate no, that shit. That shit's never I worked for me. I think it is eucalyptus. I know yeah, what you're is. talking about. Yep. It's never worked for me. Damn. I got a better one. Sucks to be your scalp, I guess. It does, baby. Well, here's the other trick. You mm. just don't wash heaps. You don't like- Really? I used to wash like every set, every two days and my fucking scalp was like trashed. Really? It's about moisture, Interesting. Baby. You gotta let the oils Got the, the oils. Well, I got a lot of oil, let me tell you. Nice and stinky. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I really- um, Can't wait to see how you wrench this one back. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking how you can tell from that- How distracted we got there that maybe we don't have that much to talk about that's like plot related. <laughs> Perhaps it, it probably it's going to get to the point where we're just like, wow, what a great film. I do like the prospect of it's almost 
fairy tale children's storybook in nature, the man with glass bones oh, yeah. who lives across the street and mm. he just paints this one picture until the end of time because he's so frustrated with getting it right. The end is so lovely where he- Yeah. Where he- where he- he's like, I'm doing my own style, doing my own thing. And he's yeah. gonna do what Lucian does where he like doesn't- he just doesn't- oh. Fucking incredible. The payoff for every character at the end is so good. The dad finally traveling after seeing the gnome go everywhere and him being like, oh, I really wanted to travel when your mother was alive. But then like, oh, mm. you know, like I'm kind of over it. Like that's an Amelie kind of being like, no, get out there. Like go see the world. I'm going to be like 90 and still traveling. I'm going to get hit by like a fucking train or something. And I'm going to be like, at least, <laughs> at least I got hit by a train in space. Brain. <laughs> That's my last word. I was going to say you get hit by like one of the, you know, the bullet trains in Japan or something. And my last word's a <laughs> boom. <laughs> yeah. You stick like your arm out and it just goes pow. <laughs> what is it? I heard this recently. I think the speed to rip your arm off, uh, like if you're like holding your arm out the window and it gets hit by like- Yeah. A, I think it's 60Ks. Really? Only Maybe that it's fast? More than that. Maybe it's more than that. That sounds a bit no, slow. No, it's got to it? be faster than that. Maybe 80 I'd believe 80. Yeah. Damn. But you got a lot of that, momentum, yeah, 80Ks you know? 80Ks is pretty fast. You got a lot of momentum. So, like, both- Like, I'm going 80Ks and the other car is going 80Ks. No, 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 no. Like, like, into a sign. You're just hanging your arm out and a car yeah, is yeah. going past at 80Ks an hour. That's enough to clean your arm off, is what you're telling me. I'd believe <laughs> it. I'd believe it. Sorry, I'm, I'm thoughtfully I, looking up a report, to the right- if there is a report on like Channel Nine or something that comes out tomorrow morning, and it's like, how fast man, standing on the M83, fucking lost his arm, to rip your arm off. <laughs> Insightful commentary here on the two five zero, ladies and gentlemen. Here's the situation: a car is sliding on ice. I a genuinely need to know. We can't get to the Decides to grab a pole on the side of the road and does not let go. Say so the car is sliding on ice. So there is ne- wow. This is really the car weighs. T- okay, uh, my friends. Uh- <laughs> According to this site, you need at least 30 kilonewtons. Okay. Um, is that like the metric of force? Yeah. Or newtons. Mm. Yeah. Um, assuming the person can't be towing the car because if that was the case, any speed greater than zero. Um, okay. At least two. This is really not helpful. Thanks, Reddit. Something like- <laughs> Reddit? Why are you Something like- Reddit? It was just the first one that came up. Even a 25 to 30 mile per hour collision- might be enough to do it if all the variables, body position, friction of the roads that shoes, bumper shape, collision point line up. This I think this might be well, this is legs. People Uh yeah. No, I'm looking at arm. I wanna Yeah, yeah I want my arm taken clean off. Um like Snowpiercer. You know where they stick the guy's arm out in Snowpiercer? Yeah. Stick the arm out the train? 30, I want that. 32. But like faster. <laughs> at a greater speed. <laughs> Um, hmm. This is not helpful. Really, I thought this would be like an easy to answer question that would just come up immediately. What are we talking about? How do we get on this? How did we get here? Um, Douglas, do you want to do trivia? <laughs> yeah, I guess. Fuck it. Yeah, I don't think that I, I was waiting to see how we were going to reach this back, but I think it's actually impossible. <clears throat> um, Whenever this film was shot on location, Jean-Pierre, Junette, and the crew would clean the area of debris, grime, trash, and graffiti so that the real settings would match the fantastic nature of the film. This was an especially difficult task when it came to shoot at the huge train station. Ah, it was clean. But that's also just, like, a very nice thing to do. Like, the, just, you know, like, cleaning up the city at the same time. <laughs> like, I mean, cool. I wonder, because I don't think Wes Anderson, sorry, he who must not be named, does much on location. Like, it's all, it's all sets, right? Wes Anderson stuff? I think stuff? nowadays, Mostly. yeah. No, no, yeah, yeah. nowadays. Because he's got the fucking, like, fairy tale looking spades. Yeah. Yeah. Like, French Dispatch, Grand Budapest. Oh, Grand Budapest. Uh, Grand Budapest was, like, occasionally hotel and occasionally set. Like, there's an actual- Hotel that they just kind of tizzied up a little bit. Was the hotel um, an active hotel? It was, wasn't it, actually? I believe so, yeah. Either that or it was like a decommissioned hotel. I think people stayed there. I think maybe staff stayed there. Yeah, they did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had like all the the crew and the cast like stay at one of the hotels. I remember that bit of trivia. Mm, Yeah. mm. It does make me think, though, how much of 
uh, Chris Clanderson stuff is set and how much is legit. Anyway, sorry. Audrey Tautu Tautu, uh, doesn't know how to skip stones. The stone skipping scenes were made with special effects. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) There was some solid- I loved that so much. That's pretty good. There would always- they they described the things that she likes doing and they would sprinkle them in like- in the middle of- I forget, there's one scene where she's going to do something completely unrelated. She walks past, like, some construction-like debris. And she's like, oh, some little stones. And she puts them in her pocket and you can hear them hit other stones. So, she's obviously got other a fucking stones. pocket full of yeah. skipping stones. How cool yep. is that? Like, what a yeah. cute- And, like, she puts her hand Again, in the beans, up, like, multiple times. Off. Yeah. Yep. Set up of her picking up a stone, like, dusting it off and then dropping it. And you hear, like, the other stones there and you're like- fuck is that about and then mm. eventually it gets to that point in the film where like she's sad she skips stones that's what she does it's cute mm. Jean-Pierre Jeanette originally wanted Michael Nimmin to score the film but was unable to get him someone then gave Jeanette a CD by Jan Tiersen who composes in a similar minimalist style but with an extremely quirky eclectic mix of instruments Jeanette fell in love with the music and scored the film largely with existing pieces by Tiersen for which he bought the rights in addition, Tiersen wrote an original name, main theme, La Volte d'Arlie, which was recorded in numerous variations and used throughout the film. The I was looking at Jan Tiersen on Spotify, and this cunt puts out a lot of fucking music. And if it's classical, you know I'm going to be listening to it. You know Jonathan is on it. Plugged He's in. the absolute cuntiest, mm. Jan Tiersen. <laughs> Is the Jan-tiest. <laughs> Very good. The main colours in the film, green, yellow and red, are inspired by the paintings of the Brazilian artist Juarez Mercado. Oh, I did see a thing about paintings in this film, but I'm not sure. Juarez Mercado. Yeah, with an R. Mercado. Yes. And M-A-C-H-A-D-O. Oh, with an H? M-A-C-H-A-D-O. M-A-C-H. Mercado. Yeah. That is- that's dope. I really like that. Yo, how good is this? Holy shit. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Yep, 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 yep. Holy fuck. Big time. Yeah. Sorry, continue. Yeah, nah, these fuck. Uh, everyone, if you've got like a phone or something nearby, uh, if you're listening to this on whatever you're listening to this on, uh, on Google Juarez Mercado and mm-hmm. check out some of his artwork. And give us a five star review. You what? Yeah, and give us a five star review, whatever you're listening to us on. <laughs> Give us a five-star review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Um, <laughs> after the movie, the chairs from the outside of Café de Deux Moulin were changed to avoid them being stolen. That's pretty funny. <laughs> I wonder if they just booked out the- They just booked out the café for like a couple weeks? I guess so, yeah. I guess they did. The travelling gnome was inspired by a rash of similar pranks played in England and France in the 1990s. In 1997, a French court convicted the leader of Front de Libération des Noms de Jardin, which is a garden gnome liberation front, of stealing over 150 gnomes. The idea was later used in an advertising campaign for an internet travel agency. <laughs> That's fucking excellent. That's I love that there's like a group doing that. That's <laughs> so cool. Mm. In the introduction, when the narrator says nine months later she was born, the footage shows a pregnant woman's stomach growing larger during her nine months of pregnancy. This footage was taken from a time-lapse film called 17 Seconds to Sophie in 1998. It was shot in 16mm of the mother, Carol Cote, by the father, Bill Cote, of the daughter using a Bolex mounted on a wall. The dad clicked off two frames a day for the entire nine months. The lighting was fixed, the background was fixed, the focus was fixed. The only thing that changed was the mother's stomach and her hair. You can see the length of her her hair growing and receding with the passage of time. The film won first prize in the Shorts International Film Festival in New York of 1998. Look this up, because I think, Douglas, this is probably short enough that I can just watch it. Yeah. While we're doing trivia. And formulate an opinion. <laughs> mm, uh, 17 seconds to of uh, 17 seconds to Sophie. Yeah. I wonder if- Which is such a cool name as well. Okay. Looks like YouTube's being weird because it's got a boob in it. Oh, yeah. It would be actually. Yeah. Oh. It's on Vimeo. Oh. 
that's cool. I like that's fun. Yeah. It's a great little um yeah, piece of film. Nino's last name is King uh King Campois. King Campois is also a village about 60 miles northwest of Paris. It's a rare surname, even in France, so this is likely not a coincidence. Buried in King Campois is the champion cyclist Jacques uh, Anquetil, who for many years was tough competition for Federico Martin Bahamontes, the same Bahamontes whose win of the 59 Tour de France, the young Dominique Bricherdo cheers on in the film. Oh, well, everything happens for a reason, Douglas. There you go. Yeah. With the exception of brief exchanges on the phone at Sacre Coeur and in person in the Du Melon, Amelie and Nino do not exchange a single line of dialogue during the course of the entire film. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Interesting. They just share, yeah, looks. Mm. And some smooches. Wow. Voted number two in Australia's favourite movie poll. I wonder when the fuck that was. Because that's absurdly high. Mm. I I bet it must have been around the time that the film came out. Because there's no way Australia's current populace is voting this as the number two film. No, probably not. <laughs> uh, and that's really all the trivia that I got. Everything else is just kind of, yeah. It was in France. Yeah. <laughs> that's about it. We did it in France. <laughs> we did it in France. Uh, <laughs> if you like doing it in France, Douglas and I <laughs> put out new episodes of the podcast every week, Tuesday, midnight, <laughs> Australian is the stand time, which comes out to Monday afternoons in Europe and Monday mornings in America. Douglas, where can people go if they want more info on the podcast? If you want more info on the podcast, you can go to www.250.com. There is a full list of IMDb's top 250 films of all time, as well as uh, two links. Uh, there's a link to listen to us on Spotify uh, up at the very top of the page there. Um, you can find us wherever good podcasts are sold as well. Sorry, there's three links at the top of the, top of the website. There's also a link to How many our links Instagram. do you need? Three. Uh, there's a link to our Instagram as well, which is at 250pod, T-W-O-F-I-V-E-O-H-P-O-D. Feel free to reach out to us in the DMs on there. It is also a fantastic place to keep up to date with everything 250 related. Then there's also our email, which is mail at 250.com. And there's a handy dandy little link right at the top of the website there if you want to drop us a line. Yeah. Douglas and I both use Letterboxd, which is a movie tracking and reviewing websites with Greg website, single website that we're great big fans of. My account <laughs> on Letterboxd is Upa, that is U-U-U-P-A-H, and Douglas. My account is Ianzo Knight, I-E-N-Z-O-K-N-I-G-H-T, Ianzo Knight. You can look up Upa, Ianzo Knight, or 250 in the Letterboxd search engine and you'll find us. We do written reviews of all the films that we talk about here on the 250, as well as anything else that we watch in our spare time. In my spare time, I managed to put away uh, Operation Fortune, which is the 2023 film directed by Guy Ritchie. Um, it's so weird because okay. it's just so- Perfectly bland. Like, <laughs> it's just watchable. The trash. slow death of Guy Ritchie is really, really painful to watch. It's very sad mm. because, well, like, the ingredients are there for something really good because Aubrey, and I cannot stress this enough, Plaza. Oh. <laughs> okay, that's that was exactly the joke I thought you were going to do, and I was somehow very disappointed when you followed through. <laughs> <laughs> um, and she's so good. She's wonderful. And I love seeing her in this kind of a style of film. Mm. It's just such a shame that this is the screenplay and the story that everyone is kind of given, because it's just so, like- it's mid-tier. It's just digestible. Like, mm. there's nothing really to write home about. If you asked me to name, like, one scene or one fun thing from the film, I couldn't because it's Oof. just so- Like, I just watched it and I forgot about it. Hmm. So- That's not yeah. what you want. Well, Douglas, I've been hard at work watching all kinds of movies. I watched The Little Mermaid- yeah, the new one in theaters last week. Yes. This week. I, or maybe it was the week before. Anyway, I finally got my shit in gear and watched the new one. The old one. The Little Mermaid from. Yes. Fucking 70s. The or OG. Yep. And it was good. Some, something that I, something that I actually sort of wish for both of the films is that neither of them really do a great job of selling this like 
mermaid metropolis of like, you know, a whole civilization of mermaids living in the mermaid city. I think- Yeah. And I only realized that in the first one, in the old one, fuck, where uh, they're all in the- It's like an auditorium or whatever, like a a theater. There's heaps of mermaids like lining up in the stalls. Kicking around. Yep. Yeah, I thought that was- uh, Give me some like stupid like shell- houses yes let's let's have some fucking fun with it yeah get a bit more creative with what that world actually looks like i think that the new one does a good job by fleshing out ariel fuck around in the above world a lot more yep it also means that you feel like the prince eric eric thank you it gives him a bit more like, he feels like more of a real person, real character. Yep. I'm glad that the old film does not have the Lin-Manuel Miranda stuff in it. It's pretty good. <laughs> I like that. Anyway, um, not to waffle on too long, I did watch The Batman Douglas, a film <gasps> near and dear to your heart. The film I watched, I think, five times last year. Yeah. I feel like I gotta watch it again. Um, but I loved the visuals of it. They're very cool. I, l- the mm-hmm. character of the Riddler has layers to it that are interesting. I do think it is really dumb. Like, obviously people get excited about Batman being an actual detective in these, but him being an actual detective largely just Im- like, comes down to him knowing bits of trivia and riddle answers. And I don't know. I don't think- I like my detectives to maybe be better at analyzing blood patterns and perhaps glass breakage and, you know, uh, finding fingerprints and stuff like that. Well, that's valid. But, like, how much of that does he actually have to work with? I don't know. In the film. I know. I know. I mean, I, know. You, I guess- I Hey, guess Douglas, you could it's made set up. Him up. They could do whatever the <laughs> fuck they like. This is not an excuse. They're you just could, like, yeah, he's yeah, a detective. And then yeah. he- And then he just answers riddles from most of the- He's like- <laughs> He's not not, but anyway. So, All I right. followed that up. <laughs> oh, and what was else? Oh, I really liked how the film sort of- uh, it, it was like a- It felt like a new, interesting thing because yeah. it reassesses- the whole fucking like boohoo, I'm an orphan thing. Yes. In a really yep. cool way. I like that. I like yep. that a lot. And I thought that was a really, yep. and that sort of underpins the film in a way. And I, I, I thought it was super, super cool. And then I followed up, yep. Douglas, because Netflix, The Chaser, a service I never use, uh, Netflix was like, oh, I know what you would like. You would like 2017's Dragonheart Battle for the Hearthfire. What the fuck is that? A weird fucking mid-budget fantasy film featuring the voice of Patrick Stewart and edited by Chuck Norris, Douglas. What? No, not that Chuck Norris. A different Charles Norris who has decided- Who has decided that he's going to brand himself as Chuck Norris. As as Chuck Norris. As if that fucking name was not already taken. (laughs) Ah. It's in big letters. Like, normally they don't talk about the, the the editor of a film in the opening credits. You know, it's like producers yeah. and directors and maybe key actors mm-hmm. and stuff. I'll talk about the editor if it's like whatever. But it's like edited by- And it's its own thing. Just in the middle. Edited by Chuck Norris. I'm like, you are fucking kidding me. Anyway, that film sucked. That's it was so really bad. Funny. It was really, really bad. <laughs> so, uh, good God. But I got my- You know, I've made up for not watching films in my- Free time for months and months and months and months. <laughs> so. Well done. I'm proud of you. Except for Itchy the Killer, which maybe wasn't the best choice. Uh, yeah, for a- I think that one put a bit of a stop in your tracks. A little casual watchy watch. Yeah, yeah. You might want to try a little bit more light-hearted viewing, mm, perhaps. Mm, perhaps. Uh, Jonathan? Uh, uh, yeah. That being said, you've given me, um, you lit a bit of a fire under my ass. I kind of want to watch the rest of Wes Anderson's filmography. So, like, fill in the gaps of the ones that I haven't seen, which is basically from, like, Rushmore onward. So, I still haven't watched The French Dispatch. Ooh. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Which I'm keen to watch. I'm keen to see. Yeah. So, I was just, I was just thanking. Give it a crack. I will, Douglas. Get a bug stick. You know what else I'll give a crack, Douglas? 
My bed. <laughs> me, 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 me. Exactly. I thank you for coming along and 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 listening to this experience <laughs> that I think personally I think rivals. Fuck. I think this rivals Amelie. I think it's up there. What rivals Amelie? The podcast in quality. Give it how you just put a fucking sedated shot to the back end of this podcast. Prove me wrong. Prove me wrong. Shot like an elephant dart in the back end of it. Douglas, look, I am begging you. (laughs) Tranquilizer. You are are not following through, okay? Prove my ass wrong, buddy. Thanks for tuning in to the 250. We'll see you next week. Black Swan. Get excited. Yeah! And uh, we're pretty close to episode- Well, this was episode 150. We're getting pretty close. We are- We have two episodes, and then we are in double-digit podcasts. Movies. Movie. Movie. Movies. That is demented. That's fucked. The the finish line is suddenly- we've watched nearly 100- Upwards of 150 movies. We've watched almost 200 movies, buddy. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, we're talking like films that are just on the list. We've watched upwards of 150 movies. We have movies that are on the list. No, we've watched no, no. 150. We've watched 150, yes. Yeah. Oh, you're talking about like ones from further down the list that we have watched previously? Yeah. That is so pedantic. <laughs> I'm celebrating. We're, ne- we're not nearly there, but like we're doing it. Movies. <laughs> Movies. There's going to be more shit ones to come. Stay tuned, kids. It's, it's all downhill from here. Get ready for us to rip into your favorite film of all time. Find it here, live, 250 Podcast.